All right, good morning, church. Pastor Steve here, and uh, good morning to those in person and joining us online. Uh, God's grace to all of you, and as we open God's word, uh, his truth and peace to you as well. Before I get into, uh, into that, though, I want to uh, share just one specific thing that uh, is going to be a new opportunity that we have next Sunday for those that would like to uh, attend, and that is that we are going to begin outdoor services, uh, and it's going to start at the Crown Point campus next week. And the way this is going to work is that uh, you're going to, if you want to come, you're going to uh, come and in in your car, and the north parking lot is going to be the uh, the location for this next Sunday. Uh, the way that uh, the way it'll work is that our service will begin at 10:45. And uh, by the way, these are going to rotate amongst the campuses, so there'll be a schedule each week uh, starting at Crown Point. Uh, the next Sunday is going to be at our HP campus and so forth. Uh, the audio is going to be provided through an AM transmitter that we're using, so your car has to have an AM receiver for this to work. Uh, but uh, you're going to be able to sit in your car if you want. You can roll down the windows in your car if you want. You can sit on a chair outside your car if you want, socially distanced uh, from, from others. But uh, your car is the, is the receiver and uh, will be the speakers. We're not going to have a, a sound system set up. Our neighbors are thankful for that. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be a, a very different experience. Now, here's one thing that I am really excited about, and that is that I have not had communion in three months. That's the longest I remember in my life I've gone without the Lord's Supper. And uh, these services are going to be where we have communion. Now, you have to bring your own elements, okay? But we are going to have a communion service as part of these at, at each location as we rotate them uh, around. There are uh, no registrations for this. Uh, so it, there might be a little chaos at the beginning of our first one, especially as we work to get everybody in. Uh, it will be live preaching, live music, although probably a more simple type service as it's outdoors. Uh, and so a couple things. If you want to sit outside, bring chairs. If you want to uh, have communion, you need to bring that with you. And if you could help us out by coming a little early. We've never done this before, and uh, coordinating all of this is going to take a little bit of time. So uh, up to 30 minutes prior, you can come and sit in the parking lot, wave at friends as they drive by or whatever. I think it's going to be a, a fun time. And I want to emphasize that one of the reasons that we are doing this is that for those that are, are elderly, and I'll let you put the age on that, uh, and those that are health compromised, coming to a, the service in-house here is not really an is not a option right now. But this is, okay? So this is. And you could potentially go every week if you wanted to and just drive to whatever campus is having uh, a service. And we're trying to minister to our seniors and to make sure that there's an opportunity for them to gather uh, as well. And I hope you sense our heart with that. So that begins next week. A message, by the way, that is going to be uh, rel relative to Father's Day. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Don't forget Father's Day, Kira Lee and Madeline. Don't forget next week is Father's Day. Uh, and so we're going to address uh, a biblical view of fatherhood next Sunday. This week, here we are continuing uh, to talk about both Romans and the matter that is just dominating our country, indeed the world right now, matters of racial reconciliation, justice, and unity. 
And what I want you to hear today is the simple truth that Christianity and the church offer the only real and lasting solution because only Christianity changes the root problem with racism, which is the heart. Only the church and only Jesus can change the heart. Now, last Sunday, we studied Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. And I just want to reinforce that uh, here at the beginning. What we saw last week, here's a reminder of what it says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, we saw last week that this is Paul getting near the end of his letter to the Romans, and it's a, it's a wish, it's a prayer, it's a longing that he has in his heart for the church at Rome. This was a local church in Rome, and they were divided. And they weren't divided between, you know, the Cubs and the White Sox or some superficial thing. They were divided along uh, lines that, that were ethnic, that were religious, and that were preferential and probably preferences that flowed out of those religious and ethnic backgrounds. And the two primary categories in that church, you had Jews who had become Christians, and you had Gentiles who had become Christians. And these two groups saw things differently. Their backgrounds were different. Their, uh, their genetic trees were different. They had different religious backgrounds. So many differences, and yet, they're all members of the same local church. How's that go so often? It goes bad, doesn't it? And indeed, it was going bad at Rome, which is why Paul wrote the letter. Now, last week, I also shared a very simple illustration that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restate it again here in case you missed it, regarding the cross and how the gospel and how Jesus brings an avenue for reconciliation that the world cannot offer. And we had just that simple symbol of a cross. You're very familiar with the symbol of a cross. It has a vertical beam. It has a horizontal beam. And we talked about how that vertical beam is a kind of picture, intentional or not, is a kind of picture that reconciliation begins with vertical reconciliation with God. And that when they would crucify people, often they would actually plant that vertical beam in the ground first. In Jesus' case, he carried that horizontal beam. And the, the, the Romans would crucify by, by planting the vertical beam, by nailing uh, the, the victim to the horizontal beam, and then lifting that horizontal beam into a notch in the vertical beam, giving us a picture, again, intentional or not, it gives us a picture that it is the vertical beam that supports the horizontal beam. If there is no vertical beam, there can't be a horizontal beam. And that reconciliation with God, that curtain that was torn in two from top to bottom there in the temple, a picture that reconciliation begins with reconciliation with God. It begins with the peace that God provides through Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. But based on that vertical reconciliation, there is the horizontal gospel. That horizontal gospel, which uh, is, is a call from Jesus for his people to, 
to be agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of reconciliation, as Paul writes to the Corinthians. And that reconciliation is, is across the barriers that fundamentally divide uh, people. And what divide is there greater than the ethnic divides and the religious divides of human civilization? And so we see in the cross then the picture that God's answer to man's race problem is the cross of Jesus Christ. Take the cross out of any solution and it is not an enduring solution. No matter how many peace accords are, are, uh, are signed and how many presidents and prime ministers and various people saying, okay, now we're at peace with one another, that peace is not an enduring one. I, uh, I, I think many of you probably are familiar with the website Babylon B. Some of you familiar with Babylon B? Probably. Okay, this is, if you don't know, this is a, this is a Christian website. It's a, it's, a, it's a satirical website. So they write headlines as if they are actual headlines, but they're pointing out some kind of, you know, hypocrisy or some kind of a truth. And uh, not all of them are great, but last week they had one that I think was great. And here's, here's the headline. I have it here for you. Nation wishes God would send someone who could unify people across races, classes, genders, tribes, and tongues. And if you read the article, it's written like an actual, like, you know, if only God would do that. And of course, why is that punny? It's punny because that's exactly what Jesus has done. Uh, he has come to unite people across all of these otherwise dividing barriers. So, friend, what I'm saying is if you jump on a bandwagon right now, and right now, uh, you know, it, it, there, there are so many bandwagons right now, it looks like uh, the country's gone west. I mean, there are bandwagons everywhere on social media, in the news, and they're urging you to jump on their bandwagon. And what I want to say is any bandwagon that offers peace across ethnic and racial divides that does not include Jesus and the cross that is not a bandwagon you want to be on. The internet is blowing up with people and pundits offering their take and their solutions to all of the race problems in America. And I've been watching and I've been reading and I've been looking. I've heard one person who dared to offer Jesus as the solution to the problems besetting our country. Just one. And yet in our society there are people they want utopia, they're, they're trying to craft, they're, they're basically, mankind's trying to recreate the Garden of Eden without Jesus. It is a utopia without Jesus and without repentance and without faith and without atonement. A utopia without God. In a sense, it's the Tower of Babel all over again. You read the news today, it is mankind trying to solve man's problems without God. It's never worked. It's not going to work this time. And so, friends, what I'm saying as your pastor is I'm saying beware of Christless and crossless answers to racism. Because if you lack discernment, there are so many bandwagons right now summoning you to jump on them. But subtly, ideologies that are set against the purposes of God. And my fear is that perhaps if you get caught up in these things and buy into the slogan, you are being sucked into a false teaching and a godless philosophy of life. 
But what's particularly dangerous, I think, is that a lot of the words that are being shouted and screamed are biblical words. Words like justice, words like human dignity, words like worth and value, even the word love. The world is shouting these things. Where do they get these concepts from? They are borrowing them and oftentimes plundering them from Christianity. I mean, these are biblical truths. They use the words, but they reject biblical answers. You know, listen to C.S. Lewis. He describes his own struggle prior to conversion this way regarding some of these concepts. He says this, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Or we might say it today, injustice. It's what we saw in Romans 1. Here's Paul describing mankind without God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Futile in their thinking, offering answers away from God, apart from God. And so we see this agony that's going on right now in our country, and I'm sure all of us are deeply troubled by it, and rightly so. And that agony right now is largely whites seeking absolution of guilt without a savior, and African Americans seeking justice without a justifier. And our culture is writhing in the pains of sin, but refusing the one who can provide forgiveness and justice. His name is Jesus. Which brings us back now to the purpose of Romans in the first place. Here we have this letter, and we've, I mean, if we were just starting, I would think, okay, this is not going to be a great point. But we've been studying this for two and a half years now. And we have done deep dives in the doctrines of justification and union with Christ and the sort of the narrative of Romans from the wrath of God in chapter 1 to the love of God in chapter 8 and the doctrines of election and predestination. And I mean, this is an impressive letter, don't you think? And, and to, to think about why did he write it? I mean, why did Paul go to such, I don't know, trouble? <laughs> Effort? to write this incredible, lengthy, doctrinal discourse. What's our takeaway here? Our takeaway is this, that the most gospel book in all the Bible was written with the overarching purpose of bringing together two ethnically different groups in a local church. That's why he wrote the letter. He wasn't writing a PhD dissertation on justification, although it qualifies. He was not showing off his intellectual gospel prowess, although we're all duly impressed, are we not, with his effort here. He wrote it to bring two ethnically different people groups together. Now note all the things that Paul didn't do to accomplish this goal. Again, if he writes, I'm, gonna write a, I'm writing a race reconciliation letter, let's think about all the things he didn't do 
in order to bring these two groups together. He didn't say the Jews were better than the Gentiles, even though he himself was a Jew. Didn't say that. He didn't tell the Gentiles, you need to become more Jewish. No. He also didn't float his uh, credentials as the apostle to the Gentiles by the word of Jesus in his vision on the road to Damascus. And if he would have done that, he would say, well, you know, you Jews, I am the apostle of the, uh, you know, the, apostle of the Gentiles, so therefore, for my cred in, in the church community to be what it should be, you Jews are going to have to be a lot more Gentilish because I am, after all, the apostle to the Gentiles. He didn't say that. Could have. He didn't tell them to ignore their backgrounds, pretend they weren't Jewish, pretend they weren't Gentile. He didn't say to abandon their culture or their ethnicity. They weren't to pretend that they were something that they were not. What did he do? He wrote the deepest explanation of the gospel ever written and rested all his hopes on this church uniting from that deep foundation of understanding how God made sinners like them righteous. And he hopes that the humility of understanding the grace of God would be the basis when he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And what flows from that? What flows? His appeal to unity, genuine love and brotherly affection, and honoring others as more important than yourself. And so the simple truth is this, friends, that a church who deeply understands the gospel deeply loves each other across ethnic differences. A church that has a superficial understanding of the gospel or no gospel at all will view those ethnically different uh, differences with prejudice, not grace, with racism, not love, with bias, certainly not mercy. So, how does Romans 12, we've, we've done the exposition on Romans 12 already, but in light of national events and world events right now, how does Romans 12 sound different to our ears if we, if we read it through the grid of Paul's application of the gospel towards the goal of racial reconciliation. That's where we're going here today, okay? So Romans 12 is our text. Romans 12 verse one says this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now friends, what we see first of all here is that his appeal to reconciliation is based upon the mercy of God. The whole chapter and the rest of the letter is this holy pivot where he goes from explaining how God vertically makes us righteous in his eyes to how now the gospel makes us horizontally righteous in the way that we treat one another. 
The mercies of God. This is his summary of Romans 1 through 11. All of that, he says, is describing the mercy of God. Now, I'd like to ask you, in the last two weeks, how much have you heard about mercy? Zilch. There's not a sign being waved that has mercy in it. There's not a, 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 a chant being chanted that has the word mercy in it. I haven't heard it a single time. It's not very popular right now, mercy. No, it's fallen on bad times, mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, not getting what my actions have earned, not getting what I should get. Now we look at what happened to George Floyd and we see that he received no mercy, tragically. Neither have hundreds of stores and shop owners in cities across America, no mercy. But for the Christian, mercy is the currency of everything that we're about. It's why he doesn't say on the basis of the love of God, on the basis of the grace of God, on the basis of the wrath of God, on the basis of the justice of God, I appeal to you, present your bodies. No, he says on the basis of the mercy of God. Now we might add love and grace, and perhaps mercy is what you get when love and grace come together. But he chose the word mercy. And I think he did that because he begins in Romans 1 with the wrath of God in his explanation of the gospel. It's a long ways from the wrath of God to the, to the mercy of God. In fact, it would seem to be the, the exact opposite of the wrath of God is the mercy of God. And it's a reminder to us that in all of our crying out for justice, we really don't want a justice-based relationship with God. If God says, oh, you all want justice? Okay, you're all going to hell. A justice-based relationship with God puts all of us in hell. And frankly, any relationship that is based on justice is a kind of hellish relationship. If your marriage is a justice-based marriage, you have a terrible marriage. If your parenting is a justice-based approach to parenting, your kids are gonna hate you. Justice, we don't want justice. We desperately want mercy. And praise God, the foundation of his whole orientation towards us as his people is mercy towards us because he gave justice to Jesus on our behalf. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God today? Aren't you glad we're not having to come in here and say, oh God, we want justice, treat us with the justice that our lives deserve. Oh, that would be terrible. It's the base, the mercy of God is the basis for what he says, now offer your entire selves as an act of worship to God. Crawl up on that altar again today and say, all that I am, all that I have, I offer it to you. What Paul is saying here is <clears throat> that the mercy of God to us means, if we, if we actually get it, it means that we have a reservoir of mercy to offer horizontally 
The vertical mercy creates Lake Superior mercy flowing towards others horizontally. The second thing we see here is that racial harmony is powered by God's grace. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, remember these messages, okay, spiritual gifts? If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And what we saw in these, and we see it again today, is, is that the church, and Paul is emphasizing the fact that the church is one body. Now we can say that truly about the universal church, every single Christian around the world that is alive now and will ever live or has lived is the universal body of Christ. But the local church is viewed as a body as well. And within this body, we have differing gifts. The Holy Spirit has empowered us in different ways. We have different functions and the analogy is a great one. Like a body. Okay, like a body. Anybody here not have a body this morning? Did you leave it at home, perhaps forget it? No, we all have a body. We, are, we, we live embodied experiences, and we understand how important it is for a body to function in unity. When your body is not functioning, uh, when your body isn't getting along well with itself, we call that cancer, right? It's important that every body part is functioning as a part of the whole. And that is, I think, a powerful picture when it comes to this whole matter of race reconciliation. In a healthy body, when one part is hurting, how does the rest of the body respond? The other day I was, uh, I was, I was riding bikes with my two daughters and we were going down a hill. And my oldest daughter, they were going a little fast for their skill level on the bikes. And so I said, hey, let's slow down. Well, my, my oldest daughter heard, let's slam on the brakes. And she was right in front of me, and she just full-on braked right in front of me. I had, the only time I think I had time to do was to squeeze my brakes over the handlebars I go. And I'm not sure what happened after that, other than I could have won some, you know, uh, America's Funniest Home Video episode, I'm sure, because I went flopping, falling, twisting, turning, ended up on my back, laying there on the road, just got <gasps> doing this sort of number. Uh, nothing was, it's one of those where you do the little check, you know, okay, is anything broken? Everything feels like it's functioning, okay. My girls came over, are you okay? <laughs> Actually, everything hurts right now, sweetheart. But we have these pain moments, and our, our body, we, we, we don't have to train ourselves what to do when a body part is hurting. If you, if you, if you slam your finger in the door, what instantly, ha- your thumb in the door, what instantly happens? So he, now all of a sudden your thumb is just, you know, wah, 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 wah in pain. What does the rest of the body do instantly? Oh, 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 right? The body comes around. 
the body responds. There's a, 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 an instinct that when one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the, part, uh, the, rest of the body is hurting with them. And that's the analogy here. We saw that, uh, we'll see it a little bit, little bit. We, when one part's weeping, we weep. One part's rejoicing, we rejoice. We are one body. We do not, listen friends, we do not create unity. Jesus created the unity. In a sense, we don't have to have racial reconciliation. There is reconciliation in the body of Christ. Our responsibility is to demonstrate that, to, 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 to live that out, and to display that in a world that knows nothing of reconciliation. And in the many conversations that I have had, especially recently, the theme that I hear from the black and brown dear brothers and sisters in our church is that they want to be heard, they want to be understood, and they want to be loved. What does that sound like? Right? They want to know how much we, we care. And that eight or nine minute video from Minneapolis two weeks ago was a kind of pain moment in the minority communities where, you know, if you slam your, your finger in the door, you might step back and go, Thumb, what were you doing there? Right? Or, or you, you, you shouldn't, it, it didn't look like it hurt that bad. Or, you know, you could, you could do it, but no, we don't do that, do we? We come around and we, we love. And I say to our, our, our white brothers and sisters here, because I think sometimes there's sort of this sense of, like, I feel frozen, I'm not sure what to do. I've heard, I've listened. And our expressions of love in moments of pain to one another speak volumes. We care. You're valuable. What can we do to help you? What do we call it? What disease is it when a body part feels pain and the rest of the body doesn't feel pain with them? This is a biblical disease. I think it's maybe somewhere still in the world. We call that leprosy. Leprosy is a nervous system. It's a bacteria that affects your nervous system where now you can slam your finger in the door and you don't even know it. You feel, you feel no pain. And uh, you know, we might look at that and go, man, feeling no pain, that would be great. No, actually, those body parts eventually fall off. We need to feel pain. We need to feel hurt. It's a terrible disease when a body doesn't feel pain. And I want to ask the question, do we have any leprosy at Bethel Church? Is there anyone here who somehow has emotionally disengaged for the last two weeks? And you say, well, how do I know? What have you prayed about? What have you been praying about for the last two weeks? Same old things. Oh, my kids, my job. Have you felt any pain in the body? What have you been concerned about for the last two weeks? Any leprosy here at Bethel Church? I'm glad to tell you Jesus loved to heal the lepers. 
And he's still in the business of healing leprosy, spiritual leprosy. And may God do that throughout our entire congregation so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and properly weep with those who weep. You know, I've been thinking about this whole matter of racism uh, as it relates to and maybe as it compares to our church's long-term deep and abiding concern for the value of the life of the unborn child. I, I, I can't tell you the year, it was before I even came here, that our church somehow decided this is something that we are going to be an agent of change for in, in Northwest Indiana. And for 30 years, we have been partnering with the Women's Center of Northwest Indiana, which I know is a, a ministry so close to so many in our church. I know so many people support it financially. Our church supports financially. Uh, you know, tons of hours of, of volunteering and investment and banquets and, you know, walkathons and all these things that, and, and why do we do that? Well, we do that because we understand that life begins at conception and that that little forming child bears the image of the infinite God. And therefore, violence done against that little child is immoral. And so we have uh, done all kinds of things for the child, for the, for the mothers. We've adopt, adoption and so forth. I mean, it's, it really, I would say, is one of our primary, if you want to call it a social cause that our church has been involved in and done so for a long time. And I praise God for it. But I've been thinking about the issue of racism because the same truth that undergirds our passion for the value of the life of the unborn is the same truth that stands in opposition to functional racism. The value of the image of God that every human being, no matter how old or young, in the womb or out of the womb, and whatever ethnicity bears the image of God. And I've just been wondering, what would it look like if, okay, 30 years ago, our forefathers here at Bethel Church began something that we have had a substantial, we've made a substantial difference in Northwest Indiana. I don't even know how many directly or indirectly children's lives have been saved who now are, you know, functioning in society and their life has gone on. What if, you know, what would it look like if the same sort of, interest and passion and involvement that we have in the value of the life of the unborn was now similarly applied to the area of racism and, and racial reconciliation and gospel community. Like, and I don't even know the answer to that. I'm just putting that out there. Like, what would that look like? Because it's the same truth. I've said it before in messages, you can't care for the life of the unborn and be a racist. You, you can try, but you are being completely hypocritical. It's either one, uh, or how to say that, it's, it's, uh, if, you, if you care for the one, you gotta care for the other. What would that look like? Well, actually, Paul gives us a little glimpse into what racial harmony looks like within a local church. 
Okay, so he clears away the fog and the confusion. Again, reading chapter 12 through the grid of Romans 15, Paul's purpose in writing this, listen maybe with a new set of ears to these verses. Look at verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's the summary. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does it look like to live in light of the mercy of God and to unite across ethnic differences in a local church? That's what it looks like. That's his description. I would highlight these statements in particular. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now here's the thing, friends. Listen, if you look at that list of, of what it looks like, you might be going, you know what, I kind of do that. You know, let love be genuine. Check. I'm good. I'm good. Let love one another with brotherly affection. In my family, we're so loving. I mean, here we are at the, at the service, and we're all sitting next to each other. Nobody's poking, and we're, we're my family. We're getting along so great in church right now. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Pff, man, I love to party with people who are happy. I'm so good at that. Weep with those who weep. I show up at the funeral home when I have to. So you can look at this list, and if you apply it within your own circle of friends, within your own clan, within your own family, you might look in the mirror and say, I'm not bad. But you know what? The world looks at family members generally loving each other, weeping with each other, laughing with each other. They're not impressed at all. Why? Because they do that too. That doesn't make anybody sit up and notice anything. But when these things are done with people who are different than us, people who have a different background than us, people who have a different story and testimony than us, people that have a different skin color than us, people that have a different culture than us, when in the church, brothers and sisters do those things across those differences, that makes the world stand up and go, wait a second, you're doing something and accomplishing something here that we desperately want, we can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. What is it about you Christians? And this is what is at stake 
in the whole area of racial reconciliation. It is the gospel applied horizontally that is at stake. It is why Paul sat down and penned this amazing long letter. It is a gospel issue. And I think this is where our commitment to the gospel is tested. Not can we love people who look like us, think like us, vote like us, live like us, but will we love across those differences? Are you willing to love somebody different than you for Jesus' sake? Or not? And this is where I think we have such an opportunity as a church to put the gospel on display in ways that, like if I think back 15 years ago in the story of our church, we would not have at all been prepared for this moment. 15 years ago, I was here, most of you weren't. <laughs> I can tell you what it was like, okay? Mostly monochromatically white church, one campus, which, okay, uh, that's, that's, that's fine. And if, if, if I got up and I said, you know what, we gotta be unified around here. We need, to, we need to love our white brothers and sisters. Most of us that are white would say, okay, it's gonna be a struggle but I'm gonna do my best to get along with Susie and Sally and Johnny over there. That Johnny, I played softball again. He was on the other team. Oh, I hate that guy. But for Jesus' sake, I'm gonna love him. I am so gonna love him, okay? And we're gonna beat him next time, but I'm gonna love, I'm gonna love Johnny, okay? And oh, Sally over there, oh, she went to the rival school. I remember them, oh, we hated those people. And he's white, and she's white, and she's white. Pick your color. He's purple, she's purple. You're purple. It doesn't matter what the color of skin is. Within, it's hard enough, isn't it, to just get along with people who are similar to us. It's a challenge. And that summarizes maybe your drive to church this morning. Hard enough. So I think back to those days and unity was a challenge, and it's always a challenge. But we are not starting from scratch today on this issue. I think there's a lot of churches who are monochromatically, perhaps white, who in the last two weeks have been having meetings going, you know, this is a bigger deal. We need to sort of get something going here. And they're having those conversations. We've had those conversations. I'm so glad this moment in our history, in our story, today, right now, there is a Bethel Church, Asian American campus of our church, with an Asian American pastor doing a service in Mandarin. They're part of our church. I'm so glad that today we have our campus in the city of Gary. We've been doing it for five years ministering there under the leadership of African-American pastor, Pastor Dexter, and others doing ministry there in what at least historically was the most African-American city in the country, Gary, Indiana. We are not starting from scratch at this point. I'm so thankful that at our other campuses, we have so much more diversity 
than we used to. And this, I think, is a wonderful development. I've said it for years. I've said, we will know we're reaching our community when our church demographically looks like the mall. Now, this is back when people actually went to the mall. But you go to the the mall of any community, and that will show you a picture of the demographic of of that community. You go to South Lake Mall, and when our church looks like South Lake Mall, we're actually doing something. And I'm so glad that we've made steps that direction, and we celebrate that. But we have huge strides to go in this area. What does go look like? Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. If you think about that Roman church, what kind of love on display in the city of Rome would cause the Romans to think, what's up with this Christianity thing? What would it have taken for that? For them to look into that little community and say, hey, they don't worship the government like we do. They don't worship the pantheon of gods and try to manipulate the gods like we do. And yet they are achieving something we can't do They're doing what all our Pax Romana and senators and emperors could never accomplish. And this is where the church in America, we have so far to go. You've probably heard it before. It's a very sad statement. The most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. Is that not perhaps one reason why, in a moment like this, people aren't looking to the church for answers, and they're not certainly interested in what Jesus has to say in this, Because we have failed on this very point. Now, I don't have any hopes of causing America to sit up and wonder what's going on at Bethel Church, okay? We are totally under the radar on the national scene. But we're not under the radar in Northwest Indiana, which is the community that we live in. Far from it. We have an opportunity We have an opportunity to say something about Jesus. Right here, where we live, we're not starting from scratch. We've gone a long ways. We have a long ways to go. And while we have a ways to go, I was touched by an email that I received this week from uh, an African-American woman in our church. And I share this with her permission. She wrote me this this week. As an African-American woman, I am so pleased to be associated with Bethel Church. Over the years, your messages that address racism as a sin touched the depths of my heart. Some of the statements you uh, made brought me to tears. Believe it or not, it's rare to see Caucasian believers boldly condemn racism. I pray that God will continue to use Bethel to reconcile the body of Christ. Racial reconciliation in the body of Christ is overdue. I hope and pray that Bethel will not only speak of bringing believers together, but to walk in it. As Janet Parshall stated, all of us need to realize that racism isn't a political, but heart issue. And every heart issue is an issue for the body of Christ. I urge you to continue to be bold and courageous. This isn't going to be easy. 
And if it hasn't happened already, you will get backlash and persecuted for speaking of this. May our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continue to bless you, your family, and Bethel Church to be a beacon of hope and an example for others. What a great note. What a great note. And I share it with you to encourage us as a church to continue on the path forward, even as we try to figure out what forward means. Why will we do it? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Amen.